Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy, folks. Welcome to another podcast episode, Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. And grace and peace be unto you, brethren. So, uh, as you know, um, when we do these podcasts, when we do these episodes, uh, there are sometimes, you know, we uh, do biblical commentary on the burning issues of the day. Uh, other times we'll take on a biblical topic or subject and, and uh, minister God's word. And, and then sometimes uh, we do interviews and I try to find uh, engaging guests that are movers and shakers in God's kingdom. that are doing a good work for the Lord and, uh, and to interview them. And uh, today I have a, uh, a very interesting uh, guest with me. This brother's name is Bill Fortenberry, and I hope I'm not butchering that brother. <laughs> but uh, this dear brother is from uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and he wrote uh, a good work on ectopic pregnancy. Now, that is, uh, that is a very thorny issue that most people who... Uh, considered themselves pro-life or personhood or abolition. Um, Men I respect and admire in the battle. Um, There's a lot of different opinions about ectopic pregnancy, and you're you're struggling between the life of the mother or, or do we give super rights to the child at the expense of the mother? I mean, there is all kinds of issues that blow up uh, when it comes to ectopic pregnancy. And Brother Bill, I believe he's done some study in that regard. Uh, he's done his research, and he wrote a booklet about this very topic. So, Brother Bill, I want to welcome you to Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. And, uh, Brother, as as you come on, I just take a little time, Brother, to introduce yourself Um Tell us a little bit about uh, your family, you know, how you were raised, and especially your Christian testimony. Welcome, buddy. Oh, well, thank you, Rusty. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, as far as my uh, my family, I've got a wife and a son, 17-year-old son, uh, just uh, about ready to head off to college, hopefully, and uh, living in Birmingham, Alabama, active for the Lord here. Uh, I was... Became a Christian when I was uh, four years old, May 5th, 1985. My kindergarten wow. teacher, I was at a Christian school. She led me to the Lord using a John three sixteen and 17. Uh, and so raised in a Christian home, my mom's a Christian school teacher. Went to a Christian school all the way up through, uh, through college, actually. Got my education degree at Ambassador Baptist College in North Carolina. And then went on to teach in a Christian school for five years and then left that to help a friend start a business, then help my dad start a business. And then, you know, started a couple of businesses on my own and been 
working mostly in, in the business world for the past several years. So, um, so you're basically an entrepreneur. Um, what, what, what are some of the businesses that, that you've been involved with, Bill? Well, my dad started a thrift store. Uh, he's been involved in the thrift store industry since I was about two years old or so. So I grew up in that industry and then he wanted to start his own. So I helped him start his own. Uh, before that, I helped a friend start a lawn care uh, fertilizer company which is now a, a multi-million dollar company. Uh, wow. I helped him start that from ground up, you know, all the way up to, uh, we, I tripled his size from the audience that he start or the, uh, customers that he, customer base that he started with and then tripled his size in a couple of years and then left there to go help my dad start his store. Wow. Okay. So your dad, uh, is in Birmingham, Alabama. Yes, sir. Okay. Is that where most of your family's from? Uh, yeah, that's most of the immediate families around here. I've got okay. extended family all over the world. All right. Awesome. So it sounds like you have a, a very strong Christian heritage root system and uh, raised in the Lord and things of that nature. Uh, tell me, Bill, as you developed in your walk with the Lord and, you know, doing entrepreneurism and starting businesses, helping businesses. Um, when did the uh, plight of the preborn like come on your radar? W what happened along the way uh, that God opened your eyes and, and birthed you into this battle? Right. Yeah. I've always been uh, very much opposed to abortion, obviously. You know, we raised in a strong Christian atmosphere. So I've always been opposed to it. I didn't actually join the fight until we moved back to Birmingham. We lived up in North Carolina for a while after graduating college. I met my wife there, and I taught in a couple of Christian schools up there. Uh, and then we moved back to Birmingham, and that was about the time that the personhood movement was getting started. And okay. so I got in on the ground floor with uh, Personhood Alabama, and was one of the organizers and you know helped develop that organization uh, and so as soon as i saw an opportunity i jumped in and right off the bat with our uh, opening session there we, we had a guest speaker come in and talking about uh, the personhood plan for ending abortion uh, for total bans not just this partial stuff, incremental stuff, but total bans on abortion. I was all in favor of that. And he said that there was only one area where they couldn't completely eliminate the concept of abortion, and that was with ectopic pregnancy. And so mm. I went up to him afterwards and said, what kind of research has been done on that? Surely God didn't design this so that you have to kill a baby. And he just didn't know. He didn't know what kind of research has been done. It's just repeated was well, just common knowledge that the mother and child can't you know will both die if you allow the pregnancy to go forward and so that spurred me to do the research myself and started pouring through the the peer-reviewed medical journals and uh, going through a bunch of uh, old stuff in the libraries to find where this idea that ectopic pregnancy is an automatic death sentence if it isn't, if the child isn't killed, uh, to find out where that came from, how valid it was, and uh, whether there was a way around that. Okay, so you got birth into the battle through personhood, 
and then um, you came up against this this moral dilemma. And for many, it still is a raging moral dilemma, you know, on what to do when it comes to ectopic pregnancy. Because I think most people think in their minds, well, it's a foregone conclusion. If it's an ectopic pregnancy, this is not going to end well, you know, for the baby or the mother or both. And so, brother, when you were doing your studies and doing your research, well, um, what 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 did you discover? Like what, what what were the like the light bulb moments where you know the light turned on for you, and 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 things that you discovered that led you not only to write this book but to let people know uh, it is not an automatic death sentence. So tell us a little bit about that journey, about your process, your research, brother. Well, what really uh, caught my attention was an article by Drs. Hellman and Simon, and it was published back in, I think it was 1913. Wow. Uh, or no, it's 19, 1935 when that article was published, when they did their study. And it's not available anywhere online. I was able to find, I had friends who are doctors. Uh, Birmingham's a very uh, medical community. You've got UAB Hospital here. It's a Everyone has friends that are doctors here. So <laughs> I just got one of my doctor friends to look it up using the UAB medical library and get me a copy of it. And I started reading through it and doctors Hellman and Simon listed 316 cases of live births from ectopic pregnancy dating all the way back to the beginning of the 19th century. And wow. th these are documented medical records that have been around when they were talking about it. They weren't talking about this as a surprise. They were talking about it as if everyone knew this. Mm. And that that really uh, intrigued me that they knew about all this. And I started looking at people. Once I knew that one article, you can then search for other articles that cite that one, that reference back to it. And so yeah. they just opened up a floodgate of other articles where people are admitting that yeah, that there's lots of babies born from ectopic pregnancies. It's it's not as uncommon as people would think. Well, Bill, uh, and so before, it started me searching for what happened and how it how it got buried. But okay, go ahead. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, just for the audience, Bill, can you describe an ectopic pregnancy and why um, you know there's such um, controversy, I guess, surrounding. Uh, this type of pregnancy. Just describe it for us a little bit. Sure. Yep. An ectopic pregnancy, uh, ectopic means out of place. That's the Greek words ex and topos, so it's out of place. Um, and so normal pregnancy, of course, the baby develops in the uterus, in the womb. And in ectopic pregnancy, the baby never makes it into the uterus. Uh, most of them start out in the fallopian tube, which is, of course, where fertilization takes place. And in a normal pregnancy, it's anywhere from five to 10 days that the baby is in the fallopian tube and slowly progresses down into the uterus. In an ectopic pregnancy, and most of them, the baby never makes it down into the uterus. They lodge in the fallopian tube and stay there and implant on the side of the walls of the fallopian tube uh, and then grow there. And of course, that area of the body is not designed for the child to grow. 
And so as they grow, they can rupture the tube and tear open the tube. And then at that point, the child usually will move down into the abdomen and reimplant somewhere else in the mother's abdomen. And wow. when they implant on another organ, the placenta will start to draw blood from that other organ in order to provide for the nourishment of the child. And that can be dangerous because as the child grows and gets bigger, he can kick around and uh, tear the connection between the placenta and that organ and cause some bleeding. And it, it is potentially life-threatening. Uh, so don't want to downplay that. It, it, it is potentially life-threatening because the child can tear uh, that connection between the placenta and whatever other organ he's attached with, and the mother could bleed out. Uh, but mm -hmm. even though it is potentially life-threatening, that's what could happen if, you know, it's a worst-case scenario. Everything right. goes goes bad, and there's no doctors available, there's no blood supply available, she doesn't know what's going on, and it's she could potentially bleed out and die. Um, so that that is an ectopic pregnancy. The, the better scenario... Uh, is that the child attaches to an organ, gets the blood supply. There's not a whole lot of room uh, without the when they're outside of the uterus. A lot of times they're they're uh, compressed, and so they many times they're not going to move as as much because there's nowhere to, to move. Uh, and so you don't have that risk in some cases of the or other organs tearing, and that child could develop, grow all the way up to term, be delivered by C-section. Uh, and be a perfectly healthy baby. Wow. So in most cases, brother, of an ectopic pregnancy, there does have to come to the point, because they're attached to the fallopian tube, they do have to rupture the tube, and that's where they make their escape to... Do they ever make it to the uterus during that process, there, or is it always outside the uterus? Usually when the tube is ruptured, it's out, it stay, the child stays outside the uterus because he's too large to travel back into the uterus. Now, there are some cases where the child will implant right on the edge of the uh, border between the tubes and the uterus. And then as he grows, he'll kind of squeeze himself into the uterus instead of rupturing the tube. Wow. Now, now, there have been a few cases where the tube has not ruptured. Uh, there's no explanation for those other than a miracle of God that, but they are documented in the medical literature where the tube did not rupture and it expanded all the way up till the, the, the baby was delivered. Uh, there's actually been a couple of cases where the baby has lodged in the mother's ovaries and has grown completely within the ovary uh, and never went into the abdominal cavity or into the uterus or the tubes or anything. Amazing. Amazing. So, um, so you're going along, um, you're, you're reading all these articles, you're doing all this research. And um, what, what did you discover, Bill, as far as uh, other, let's say, pro-life groups or um, personhood groups or abolitionist groups? Uh, what was different, I guess, about what you were discovering and what was the narrative like coming from these groups? Um, did you see any uh, discrepancies there? Oh, of course. Um, the uh, 
for example, the Association of Pro-Life uh, Obstetrician and Gynecologists, they state right on their website that an ectopic pregnancy cannot ever be survived. The child has no hope of living. And if it's continued, the mother is definitely going to die. Um, at least that's what they used to say. If I remember correctly, they've changed it since I presented my material. Um, that was the standard line. That was what you saw just about everywhere. Uh, and this is back in, in 2009, 2010, when I was doing my research. And so back then, everyone, they just said there's there's no hope, any type of ectopic pregnancy. You have to, to kill the child or, you know, both the mother and the child are going to die and there's no other way about it. And so I was thinking, I've got this great news that I've discovered. These people are going to be happy and excited about it. So I started telling people. Uh, what I had discovered. And uh, to my shock, <laughs> a lot of people did not so, like it. There's always shock uh, in this battlefield. Always yeah. shock at all. <laughs> yes. And so so even the, the different pro-life groups and, and personhood groups, uh, I, I never got any pushback officially from any of the abolitionist groups, so some individual abolitionists, but um, no actual groups that gave me pushback. But the, the personhood groups and the pro-life groups both uh, gave me a lot of pushback on it and and just said I was flat out wrong. Um, had a, a doctor who was heavily involved in the personhood group just tell me flat out that I was wrong. It wasn't it possible at all. So I just handed in my research, said, here you go. <laughs> tell me where I've messed up. And it, it took about a year for him to go through and double check all my research. And I saw him again at another meeting a year later. And he came up to me immediately, yelled out my name when he saw me across the room, came running over to me, said, you're right. I checked all your sources. You're absolutely correct. And uh, he's been a, a champion of the same thing ever since. Praise God. Yeah. So, Bill, I mean, we got all this. I mean, obviously, uh, when what year is it you did the majority of your, your research? What year was that? The research was done between 2009 and 2011. And then I've wrote the initial article publishing the research in 2012. Okay. So obviously, even from that point, brother, we know like modern medical technology is accelerating at a rapid, rapid pace. Um, has there been any um, movement in the medical field uh, to come up with uh, different treatments for ectopic pregnancy, or do they just let sort of life take its course? In other words, are there any um, ways for the medical field to intervene in an ectopic pregnancy to, to bring the child to a more safe environment to grow? Is, has there been any, um, you know, mm -hmm. development in, in, that, in that regard? There has not been since the 1980s. Uh, the 1980s was the last recorded attempt at a, a transplant. There was a successful one. You know, he claimed it that it was successful. People have said that it wasn't, that his records are faulty. And, you know, they, they come up with any excuse they can find to, to dismiss what he says. But uh, Dr. Shettles says that he uh, was successful at, at a transplant in the 80s. Prior to that, the only transplant was in 1917. Uh, and so there's a long time um, between the two. Wow. And 
it's, it's not going to take okay. the fact that it was successful back in 1917 means you don't need modern medicine for this to work. You just need the courage for doctors to actually do it. And that's where the problem is. Uh, is, is that the issue, our, Bill? They're just not willing to uh, takes the extra time and effort to, to, to do this kind of treatment? Well, the transplant and, and then also to let the, the child grow all the way, you have a, a surgery in both cases. You have a C-section at the end if you allow the child to just grow and develop this through watchful uh, or expectant management, like a watchful waiting where the, the doctor is observing and make sure the mother is taken care of, make sure there's good blood supply in case anything happens. And, you know, they're they're ready to intervene if there is like a triage situation. So that's if you take that path, there's a surgery at the end with C-section. If you take the path of a transplant, there's a surgery at the beginning. Now, surgery inherently is going to be more risky right. than taking a drug like mifeprestone in order to uh, just kill the child and allow the body to, to expel the child after the child has died. Um, so there's, a, there's more risk involved in doing the surgery. So because there's more risk... Doctors are very hesitant to do that because in this case, it's not an established procedure, so it's going to be experimental. Mm -hmm. So the insurance company is not going to cover it. And then the parents, the mother may die and her relatives may get all mad and sue the doctor. Uh, the child yeah, may not survive yeah. and the mother may sue because the child didn't survive when she was promised that the child would live. You know, at least that's her perspective of it. Uh, and so there's all kinds of potential for people to get mad and sue. And so it's, it's not a risk that doctors really want to take. Wow. Okay. So, man, uh, so, so you, uh, when you released your findings, buddy, um, uh, can you tell me maybe a little bit about, uh, did you, I know you obviously made some, uh, enemies along the way, but did you pick up any friends um, in, oh, yeah, in, absolutely. in the church, in the medical field? Or mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, like the doctor I was telling you about who initially was skeptical and then changed his mind and, and is now championing the same cause. Uh, I have other doctor friends that I took this to and told them about it. They were, again, most of them are skeptical because they're taught that this is impossible in medical school. Uh, so they come at it skeptically and then they go and study the research and they come back and agree with me. Uh, every single medical professional that I have given my research to has ended up agreeing with me. Uh, the ones that have not ended up agreeing with me are the ones that refuse to even look at the research. Uh, they, wow. I mean, that's probably out of guilt, uh, but they just, they just won't have anything to do with it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been very encouraging. And as many enemies as I've made, I've made twice as many friends as a result of this research. Um, and now, of do course, you have any... go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. Go ahead. I was going to say the one of the biggest encouragements was Bob Enyart and American Right to Life picking it up and uh, promoting it right away. Yeah, he he, he was a good man. Uh, got to work with him uh, through the years. Um, I really miss him. Um, so, brother, can you tell me, um, or do you have any, like, testimonies of maybe parents 
who came across your research and um, kind of, you know, saw that there, you know, some possibilities here? Uh, do, do you have any parents who've, who've gone through an atopic pregnancy that's contacted you and, and successfully gave birth to a child? Yes, I have had many come to me and tell me that that's their story and that no one would believe them. Um, I recently had a friend on Facebook share a video with me of an interview she did with an, an elderly lady. And the elderly lady was giving her testimony of her son who was born from an ectopic pregnancy. And the doctors said, there's no hope. He's going to die. You might die. And she just said, I'm, I'm going to go through with it. And ended up that everything worked out just fine. He was born and as a healthy young man today. Uh, one of the reviews on my book on, on Amazon uh, says, this is an excellent book. My eight-year-old son is living proof that ectopic pregnancy is survivable in some cases. So this, this lady found out about my book on Facebook. She commented on it on Facebook and said that it was, uh, you know, told a little bit about her case where her son was in the tubes. And as he grew, he was one of those that was at that edge between the tube and the uterus. And eventually he ended up squeezing into the uterus and had a normal uh, pregnancy after that. Now, but wow. I've had many that have come to me and, and told me that they were born from an ectopic pregnancy or that they had an ectopic pregnancy and the child was born healthy because prior to, prior to probably about the mid seventies, uh, Abortion was not the go-to treatment for ectopic pregnancy. Right. right. Uh, expectant management was the number one treatment, which is, you know, watchful waiting. And that's where you got the the phrase that Catholic doctors in particular was who their the phrase was uh, used against, that they would wait until the woman was bleeding out on the operating table before they would do anything. Uh, that phrase got used as a slur against the Catholics and they reacted to that by saying, okay, now we're going to switch and we're going to take this doctrine of double effect uh, where if the doctor removes the tube, then he's not actually intending to kill the child. He's only intending to remove the, the woman's tube and the death of the child is just an unintended side effect. And so that's allowable under Catholic doctrine. And they, they changed their position there for all of the Catholic hospitals all across America. And that was what really turned uh, the treatment for ectopic pregnancy from expectant management to killing the child as soon as possible. Hey, Bill, let me ask you, how how prevalent or how rare, should I say, is an ectopic pregnancy? Well, they're not really certain because of the fact that most ectopic pregnancy, or I shouldn't say most, in America, it's, it's just be many. Many ectopic pregnancies are not detected very early. And because of the fact that they're not detected until after something starts going wrong means that there could be many that uh, start out as ectopic pregnancy and then the child dies and the mother's body uh, cleans out the, the body of the child, the dead body at that point. 
without anyone ever being the wiser. And so there's some speculation about how many times there actually is an ectopic pregnancy. Uh, you'll see numbers so anywhere from- is that, is that typical, Bill? Is that typical for a woman's body to respond that way? Yeah, once if the child is is very small and the child has passed away, um, many times the mother won't even realize it. Uh, and that's that's not just typical in ectopic pregnancy. That's typical in normal pregnancy as well. There, there are many cases where the mother doesn't even realize she's pregnant and then um, has a miscarriage without even realizing she's present, pregnant to begin with. Um, so mm. that's because that happens, they can't really give firm numbers on how many ectopic pregnancies there are. But, you know, there's all sorts of numbers floating around out there, uh, anywhere from like Could one out of 60 pregnancies to, you know, one out of so however many hundred pregnancies. It's, there's just a wide range of figures that are thrown around out there. No one really knows. Okay. And you would say the, the majority of the time, it's it uh, the body itself uh, sort of takes care of that. Uh, but then there's times where the child... Uh, like you says, detaches and then attaches somewhere else in in the, in the stomach area to organs. Um, when when does a woman you think become aware like something like that has taken place? Usually, the mother becomes aware of the ectopic pregnancy after the tubes have ruptured uh, and the child is now growing into the abdominal cavity because she'll have pain somewhere in the the abdomen that is not a normal pregnancy pain so um and she, of course you know she'll go to the gynecologist they do uh ultrasound and uh, look for the to see if there is an ectopic pregnancy now many ectopic pregnancies are missed at that stage and that's why you have some of these even in america that go all the way to full term and then at full term they realize oh this child is not in the womb and we have to do a c-section wow. and they realize that then that there's an ectopic pregnancy but those that do realize it's an ectopic usually it's after the tubes have ruptured and the child has implanted somewhere else in the abdominal cavity wow it's so amazing I, the will to live is strong bill the will to live is strong yeah you know, and I, it it shows uh it shows that the child is a distinct living human being because if this was if the you know the pregnancy the conceptus whatever the term the abortionists try to use uh, if that was just a part of the mother's body then when it's outside of the womb it would be very unlikely that it would grow or attach or anything but the fact that the child does attach outside of the womb shows that it is the child who initiates the implantation in the mother's body. And it's wow. the child that initiates that uh, pull of nutrients from the mother to the child. It's not the mother's body that sets it up. It's the child that is in control of every, all of it. Uh, and so it proves that the child, even at that early stage, is an independently living human being. Wow. My goodness. That's so awesome, brother. So awesome. Well, brother Bill, um, you've done the research, you've written the book, and by the way, I want you uh, to send me a link uh, to that book, brother, because I'll put that uh, when we release this episode so people can get access to the book. 
Um, so, uh, brother, before we sort of start winding down on this interview, what are some, uh, I guess, the main takeaways, the main truths um, that you want people to come away uh, if they would take the time and, and read this book? Well, the main thing that I'm looking for is for the elimination of the life of the mother exception to abortion laws. Because as soon as you throw a life of the mother exception in there, it throws the door completely wide open for all the exceptions, for all the yeah. abortions to take place all the way up to birth. Uh, there's no way around that. And that was pointed out in Roe v. Wade as the reason that uh, the personhood movement was started initially was because of that uh, paragraph in Roe v. Wade where the, the judge said that if personhood is established, then the appellant's case collapses. Right. Well, the, the appellant's, the personhood was not established. And the reason personhood was not established in Roe v. Wade, the personhood of the child, is because Texas had a life of the mother exception. And the judge said, if the ch child's right to life is guaranteed by the 14th Amendment, but you have a life of the mother exception, then there's a conflict here. You're you're not saying that the child's life is protected by the 14th Amendment. You're saying the child's life is can be protected unless the mother's life is in danger. And then her life is protected by the 14th Amendment and not the child. And so you're denying the protection of the 14th Amendment to the, the child at that point. Uh, and so those exceptions form a, uh, a legal loophole that allows all abortion to take place as long as you have those exceptions in the laws. And so that's that's my number one goal is to have those exceptions removed. And there was a bill introduced. I, I can't remember which state it was, um, Ohio or Iowa or, or something recently that was that actually had a line in the bill saying that the doctor in an ectopic pregnancy was required to make the attempt to save both lives. And that's the type of language that I want to see in these bills. And that's not going to happen just from the politicians on their own deciding to do that. It, it's going to take a groundswell of normal, everyday people pointing out that this is wrong, that killing the child in the neck top of pregnancy just out of hand is absolutely wrong. Well, and it's. Uh, and and it's, so. Sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, Eddie. That's no, great. Go ahead, buddy. Um, along those same lines. I want to change public opinion because that's necessary in order to change the politicians. And I've actually had some success with that. If you go and read the, in my book, I quote from websites like uh, WebMD, eMedicine, the Mayo Clinic, uh, the U S department of health, PubMed health and you know, stuff like that. All saying that there is no case of an ectopic child ever surviving. Most of them don't say that anymore. Most of them now say that there are rare cases where the child survives. That that language did not exist prior to me releasing this article and sending it out all over the place. And so I want to see more of that take place where the medical community completely changes course and says that there is a possibility for the child to survive and the mother to survive an ectopic pregnancy. That's awesome. A any other um takeaways buddy any other uh, truths you'd like to communicate 
Well, I don't want to end without pointing out that uh, in the book, I have a chapter that is called Guilty as Charged. It's the last chapter of the book. Uh, the most opposition that I have received to presenting this information has been from mothers who are themselves uh, pro-life or abolitionists, 100% opposed to abortion, and yet they have had an ectopic pregnancy in the past, and the doctors told them there's no choice but to have the child killed, and they went along with it. And then they hear my research, and they're hit with an extreme amount of guilt, and they respond uh, sometimes uh, vehemently against it because of that guilt. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I address that in the last chapter. Uh, the last chapter talks about uh, why we have guilt, why God gave us guilt, and then what the solution to that is and how we can find the solution to guilt and the forgiveness that's available through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so that's that's something I want to point out. I, I do feel for these ladies uh, that have gone through this. I know it's got to be terrible to hear that there was something you could have done, but you were lied to. But there is a solution to that. You know, God doesn't just say, okay, now you have to be guilty the rest of your life. You know, he, he is compassionate and cares for you, and he has the solution. If you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, the solution is, first of all, to accept Christ as your Savior. If you have already accepted Christ as your Savior, all you have to do is go to him, just like First John 1, 9 says, you know, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and ask for the forgiveness and he gives it. He's faithful and just uh, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Bill, you, you might, you might, I don't, God only knows, I, I don't know who kind of listens to these podcasts or these episodes. Uh, you know, people contact me and let me know they're listening. But let's say there are some folks listening and they get the news that uh, they're possibly uh, struggling with an eptoptic uh, pregnancy, what would be um, some advice, I guess? What, what kind of counsel would you give that couple? Well, I'm, to start off with, I'm not a doctor, so I can't give official medical advice. Uh, just my opinion would be that they should take the information in the book, take it to their doctors, and review the information with the doctors and try to convince the doctors to save both the mother and the child uh, through either expectant management or trying a transplant. I do know of at least one doctor who has expressed interest in attempting a transplant. Uh, he's out in California. I'm not going to give his name or information over the air, uh, but I can be reached through my website, which is increasinglearning.com. Uh, and if someone is going through an ectopic pregnancy, they can reach out to me and I will do my best to try and get them in touch with that doctor if that's the path that they want to take. So your website is increaselearning.com? Increasing, so I-N-C-R-E-A-S-I-N-G, learning, L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G.com. Okay, so brother, when, when we're done here, make sure I get uh, the link to that website and also uh, send me the link uh, to your book. And I do pray sure. this is this is helpful, um, you know, uh, to folks um, if they've gone through it or even in the future, if they, you know, come across something like this, um, it, it's be good that at least they have uh, this other 
uh, information available so they can make a wise decision, you know, as they move forward. Because like you say, you don't, you know, the whole system is built on pretty much abortion and death. You know what I mean? And, um, and so that's, that's the narrative, you know, and you're, you're kind of blowing up that narrative and going, no, it's not necessarily an automatic death sentence. There's proof, there's research. And, um, and there's ways that your baby could survive and you can survive, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's happened. Um, and obviously, you know, we have to put a lot of our faith and trust in the Lord, you know, as we go through those things. Um, but it, it can happen. And you, and you got, you got some documentation along those lines, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I found awesome. over 500 ectopic or live births from ectopic pregnancies that I've found documentation for so far. And I'm literally finding more all the time. There, there's cases even this year of live births from ectopic pregnancy in America that have been reported in the literature. Okay. Well, brother Bill, I just want to thank you so much for your time and your expertise, brother. Uh, this is a worthy of work, uh, very much necessary. Uh, and I'm in full agreement, brother, uh, in my book of uh, biblical strategies to abolish abortion. You know, one of the chapters that I take on is openings that must be shut if we're ever going to end, you know, the American Holocaust. And of course, the, the three biggies are rape, incest and the life of the mother. And the, yeah. these are the cracks, you know, that the enemy who's come to kill, steal and destroy that exploits that you know, brings the wholesale slaughter of the preborn. And so this work is is critically important along the lines that we can shut one of those doors, you know, that would prayerfully, you know, protect life in the future. So uh, kudos to you, brother. Hats off to you, man. Uh, this is a much needed and necessary work and we're going to try to get it out as far and wide as we can okay bro well thank you i really appreciate it yes sir okay well that's bill fortenberry um i'll have uh his links uh in this episode you can go to his website you can uh obtain his book i would encourage you to study to show yourself approved And uh, as usual, I want to encourage you folks to keep pressing on to that high call and prize in Jesus' name. God bless you, saints. Till next time. 